Back to Malachi chapter four, beginning in verse one. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yeah, and all do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Skipping down to verse 5 here, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now Malachi was the last prophet to prophesy to God's people in the Old Testament. His message or his theme to the people from that book was one about restoring God's estranged people back to him. He addressed specific issues that were going on in their lives that caused them to drift away from God and he called them back to a relationship with him. There were 400 years between this book and the New Testament. Malachi served as the final messenger of God before the 400 years of prophetic silence. 400 years and there's no recorded voice of a prophet. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach to you this morning on this topic, when silence broke. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands all over this place as we pray and ask God to minister to us. God, we know that you inhabit the praise of your people. We entered this building with praise and worship in our hearts, God, and we are thankful that you have met us here. I know that we can do nothing in and of ourselves, that if we're going to receive something today, God, it's going to come from you. I'm asking for you to minister to us, God. Help us, Lord, to set aside our preconceived expectations and just submit ourselves to what it is you desire to do. I know the enemy would love to bring distraction, and I'm asking you, God, right now, that in this house, you squash any distractions that would try to hinder the working of your spirit. We are confident that you are able to accomplish your perfect will in this meeting this morning. Can we put our hands together and just thank God? What a mighty God we serve. What a faithful God we serve. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. For us today, it is but the turn of a page and we go from Malachi to Matthew, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But for the people of that time, 
I believe there was an expectation that spanned generations of people that were curiously awaiting this messenger. Uncertain of what the details would be, they knew one thing, and that was that he would bring them help. Now, I think it's pretty incredible that while Malachi is dealing with these gross grievances of God's people, while he's calling them out for all of the areas that they let God down, and we're talking about, he's very detailed and specific. In, he said, you were robbing God by not giving your tithes and your offerings. Malachi was being very direct with them. But what's incredible about the book is that when he opens it up in chapter one, he opens it up reminding them how much God loves them. Then he gets into all the things that they're doing that aren't right, that they need to correct. And then he ends it in chapter four and verse five and six as we read it. And he leaves them with hope and a promise of help. Now, I want that to settle in on you this morning. The enemy would like you to believe that you've made too many mistakes. You've went too far. That if anyone else knew what you had done, you would not be allowed in the church. The enemy wants you to believe that you cannot progress forward with Christ. But I'm telling you now that even though you've let him down, even though you've broke his heart, it has never stopped or hindered his love towards you. It hasn't. If you are in this place, God desires to have an encounter with you. Maybe you haven't been in months. Maybe you haven't been in years. But I'm promising you this, that God has you here for a purpose. God is wanting to do something in your life. And so it was my prayer this morning. God, whatever you desire to do at 902 Fletcher, please do not allow us to hinder that work. Do it, God. Minister to us. In Matthew chapter 3, we read that it is the voice of John the Baptist that shatters the silence of the day. In Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying to them, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but... I'm guessing that when they were looking forward to a messenger, they were expecting something a little more glamorous than repent. I don't know what they were expecting or what they were hoping for, but God promised them before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, he was going to send them a messenger and it was going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And 400 years of silence goes by. And then we read here in Matthew that when that silence breaks, it's repent. If we look ahead in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, we see that Jesus begins his ministry with the call to repentance as he echoes the very same words of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance. Man, repentance has always been kind of one of those dirty words. 
It's not something we really like to get excited about. Luke 15, 17 tells us this about it. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. I don't know about you, but if it gets heaven's attention, it ought to get our attention. If heaven rejoices over someone that repents, we ought to rejoice over someone that repents. If heaven gets excited and throws a party because one sinner repents, then it ought to be something that gets our attention as well. So what is repentance? I've heard so many things about what repentance is and what repentance isn't. Repentance is a mind change that is so significant that it impacts our actions. I've heard it said that it's a, it's a broken heart before God, and that's accurate. It's a heart that says, God, I have sinned against you, and I have done you wrong, and I have fallen short. But that mentality and that mind shift then immediately takes him to a place of action. You know, faith is necessary in our walk with God. It is impossible to please God without faith. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are automatically moved to repentance. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. You can't say I have faith in God without being moved to repentance because that's not faith, that's acknowledgement. A lot of people acknowledge God who he is, that he exists, that he's there, but that's altogether different than when we put our faith in him. Because when I put my faith in God, I'm believing everything that he says he is to be true. I'm believing he's a loving God, he's a forgiving God, he's a healing God, he's a saving God, and I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to that by my faith and my repentance towards him. Repentance from a military standpoint is an about face. So you gotta think that when I'm marching in the military and then they declare halt, about face, march. So when I'm living life my way and I'm doing things my way, I'm not even walking towards God. I'm not even acknowledging God. I'm walking down a path that is leading me where I wanted to go, a self-fulfilling path. But when I repent, when I place my faith in him, I turn from that path. I start a brand new path that is heading me directly towards him. Look, look, repentance isn't continuing down the same path and trying to fix yourself along the way. That's not repentance. Sometimes the enemy would like us to be convinced that we've got to fix ourselves up before we can go to God. That we've got to get good before we can get God. That we've got to do better, that we've got to do right, but that's not it. That's reformation. God did not call us to self-reformation. He called us to repentance. The difference is, here's the difference. This is why all of heaven rejoices and there's joy over one sinner that repents because in order to have faith in Christ, in order to turn from this path to this path, in order to seek him wholeheartedly, I've had to surrender control. That's why it's such a big deal. 
Because I used to walk in my own ways. I used to do what I wanted to do. I found myself drawn to things that brought me pleasure. But when I make my mind up to follow Christ, I'm surrendering complete and total control unto him. Not my will, but thy will. Not what pleases me, but what pleases you. God, I'm coming for you. It's different. I'm thankful for every self-help group out there that tries to help people and assist them in getting delivered from addictions. I'm thankful for that. I honor people for that. I've seen folks that have went through AA or NA or anger classes, and it has been a benefit to them just to see other people in that group who used to be bound by it and who are now free. But I'm going to tell you, as someone that has been in those classes, it's a long journey. It's a long journey of trying to pick up the pieces and, and the fragments of your life and, and put them back together and just, just, you know, one day I want to do better. One day I want to be clean. Today I'm going to acknowledge this. Tomorrow I'm going to acknowledge that. And little by little trying to frame my life back together. That's different than when I repent and I surrender. Because when I repent and I surrender, I'm not trying to fix it anymore. That's why I could walk into a bedroom, shut the door, hit my knees, and pray, God, deliver me from drugs. God, deliver me from alcohol. God, deliver me from cigarettes. And in one moment, God took it all. That's not reformation. That's repentance. It's not ugly. It's not dirty. It's a gift from God. That's the first thing I want us to acknowledge today about repentance. Like all good things, it is a gift from God. It brings us to that place where we can surrender control. Romans 2 and 4, we read that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. What that means is that God's goodness, everything that he is, his, his, him being a healer, him being a provider, him being a savior, him being closer than a friend or closer than a coworker or closer than a spouse, him providing peace that surpasses understanding. These are all the goodness of God. And when someone looks at those things, it is his goodness that draws us to him, that leads us to him. And it is the passing through repentance that positions us for what God has next. The second thing I want us to understand about repentance is it prepares us for greater things. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, we read, I indeed baptize you with water, John says, unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist was saying, Look, I'm the forerunner. I'm just preparing the way of the Lord. 
Repentance gets us in a place where we are prepared for God to be able to do something more. We read in the book of Acts after Peter has preached to them. He's talked to them about, man, you guys crucified Christ. You killed the Messiah. And the people there surrounding him were pricked in their hearts. And they asked the question, man, we recognize that we've made a mistake. We've messed up. What do we do? What's he say? You first need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. No repentance, no remission. Look. All throughout, we can look in the New Testament and on personal experiences. Some people get baptized in Jesus' name and then they get filled with the Holy Ghost. Others surrender to God and they get baptized. They feel the Holy Ghost fall on them and then they get baptized in Jesus' name. Those can be interchanged in the order in which they happen. But repentance is necessary no matter what. You don't get to choose where it fits in the sequence of what God is wanting to do. He needs us to be submitted to him so that he can bring those glorious things he has in store for us. Sin remitted. Sin remitted. It's gone. The price paid, dead, and buried. Man, what a gift I don't want to forego by going down in the water without having repented first. I don't want to come out just wet. I want to come out a new creature. I want to come out a new person. I want everything that God has for me. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. No repentance. No baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'll simplify it as much as I can. It gives us power from an on high to live an overcoming life. God is a spirit. And when you receive the baptism of his spirit, that is his spirit coming to live inside of you. In Acts chapter one, look what Luke records. He says that before Jesus was taken up, Jesus led, the disciples were led by him in person. After that he was taken up, they were led by the Spirit. Here is what Luke is saying. How many people think it would be cool to have been alive while Jesus walked here on earth? Right? And not just be alive, but maybe be a disciple? <laughs> right? How cool would that have been? Incredible. Because you got to think about it. You could be walking and you got Jesus with you. And you make a mistake or you start to do something dumb. If you're Peter, it's happening all the time. And Jesus is like, bro, we just talked about this. Swats him on the back of the head. Get it together. Let's go. They had Jesus with him right there. His physical being to correct them when they got off course. To help them see ahead of time when they started down a path that they shouldn't have been going down. And Luke is saying that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God lives in you and it leads you as if God, Christ, was standing with you in person. 
It's the power to overcome is because while we're allowing the spirit of God to guide us, it will lead us into all truth. It will guide us to whatever direction we need to go. Some people don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is an essential part of salvation. I beg to differ. I don't want to live a life where God can't guide me. I don't want to live a life where he's not leading me. The third thing that I want to draw our attention to about repentance is it helps us maintain proper alignment. Helps keep us in alignment with him. There was a famous baseball player from 1923 to 1939. His name was Lou Gehrig. He was nicknamed the Iron Horse, a native of New York City and a student of Columbia University. Gehrig signed with the Yankees on April 29th, 1923. He set several major league records during his career one of which was the most grand slams in a person's career. Another was the most consecutive games played. Lou played 2,130 consecutive games without missing. That record stood for 56 years. I didn't even make it through one year of school without missing a day. He was a strong man, a tough man, a man with grit, they would describe him. At the end of his career, they x-rayed his hands and discovered that every single one of his fingers had been fractured multiple times, and yet he never missed a game for it. He understood that to be the best, it required great self-discipline. He had to push through resistance and push through pain if he was going to continue to be a great baseball player. The Yankees were doing great in this era, a lot of wins, and so with the fame came finances. And so what they started to do was give back to the team, and, and they started updating their stadium, and, and they updated the dugout, and the story has it that one day, Lou Gehrig came to the stadium and realized there was some updates that had been done, and he walks over to the dugout, and he realizes that those old wooden benches that they were used to sitting on were now covered in cushions. And without even saying another word, he just mumbled. The story tells it that he walked over, grabbed a hold of the cushions, and began to rip them off the benches walked over to the next bench, grabbed a hold of that cushion and just ripped it off of that bench. He said to the people that were there with them, I do not want to become soft. You see, one of the insidious parts of success is that you suddenly have a million reasons or a million temptations against the very traits that got you there in the first place. We never reach in our walk a place with God where we mature out of the need for repentance. We never reach a place in our walk with God where we mature out of the need for prayer. 
or daily time in the word or regular church attendance or fellowship with the brothers and sisters of the body. We don't ever reach a place where what got us here doesn't get us there. We cannot allow ourselves to be so successful and so mature in our walk with God where we start to think, I've finally arrived. All of those years of repenting and all that time of prayer and all that Bible reading and being faithful to church, all of that stuff was great and it got me here. And I'm enjoying a successful walk with God. But if we're not careful, we'll start putting down cushions. And before we know, we'll be getting way too comfortable. We won't pray like we used to pray. No, we won't read our word like we used to read. All of a sudden, we got every excuse of why we can't make it to church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday. We start to look at life and our walk with God like everything is good. We no longer have to work for it. Oh, friends, it is dangerous for us. It is dangerous for us if we ever get to the place where we do believe that it was worth the hard work to get here, but the hard work to sustain it is not required. I got elders all across this room, and I wonder if by the sound of an applause, you can testify that we must keep fighting. We must keep praying. We must keep repenting. We must keep worshiping. We cannot let go of what got us here thinking we can sustain it on our own. On our own, didn't get this thing started. And on our own, not going to keep it going. It's not going to do it. We need the supernatural power of God moving in our lives, and we only get it through a submitted and broken life before Him. 1 John 2 Verse one through five, it says, my little children, these things write I unto you. Why do you write them? That ye sin not. So I want to be clear. The goal is not to live however you want, knowing you can run back to daddy and get forgiveness. That's not it. Scripture is clear. He has given us a pathway to where we can walk in the power of his spirit. We can overcome the things in this world. And the goal for us is that we sin not. That's our goal. But he goes on to say, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As bad as it is for us to think we can live however we want and then come back to God for forgiveness, it's just as bad if we think that when we make a mistake, there's nowhere we can go for help. I promise you that if you fall and you call out to the name above every name, he will come rushing to your side. He will lend you a hand. He will pick you out of your sorrow. He wants to help you. He wants to provide for you. Can I tell you that he gives us this other gift called conviction? 
right? Point number three is that repentance helps keep us in alignment with him. Conviction is an invitation from God. Conviction's not coming upon you because God wants to break the hammer out and smash you. Conviction is coming upon you because God loves you enough that he wants to spare you from the pain that that bad decision will take you through. Conviction comes upon you because God is extending an invitation for us to accept and get help. Conviction. This is tool. We're doing a lesson on spiritual authority and level two discipleship courses. Right? We have God who speaks to us through his word. We have pastoral authority where God ministers to us. And then we have personal convictions where God is working with us to shape us and to mold us. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, this is strictly for illustrative purposes. But when I look at this to make it make sense, in my mind, I look at repentance, big R, and repentance, little r. Now, repentance, big R, is what Paul is talking about when he says, and the sin which does so easily beset you. When we're walking with God and we're going through life, things come at us quickly. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes we make mistakes, but there are those occasions, if we're willing to admit it, where it's not a little stumble, where when we did it, we knew we were in complete contradiction to what God would want us to do. We knew that it was wrong. We knew that it was sin. I get it. No one wants to raise their hand right now. I'm not asking you to. The one that needs to know, he knows. He's the only one that needs to know. And Paul is saying you need to lay aside those things. And that sin that does so easily beset you, that's big R repentance. Where we've got to do an about face. And proceed after God and say, God, I'm sorry. I knew that when I did that, it was wrong. God, I'm sorry that I enjoyed it while I was doing it. I'm sorry that it took me so long to bring this before you and to lay it down at your feet. I wish I would have asked for forgiveness sooner. But God, I'm bringing it to you now. And I'm sorry, and I'll never do it again. And God dusts you off. Gets down there and realizes, man, your sneaker still got dust on him. Brushes the dust off your sneaker. Takes a look at you. Pulls down on your jacket. Pushes your hair back. Gets it back in place. Well done. Well done. Because repentance was meant for just that. The restoration unto God. Use it for what it was designed for by God himself. But then we have those little R repentance. 
where we go home and we just know, man, I could have done things better. Like I said something to him that was pretty harsh. Or, or the things that went through my mind while I was driving today, probably not okay. Probably not, probably not. And so those are those times where on a daily basis, we just say, God, I did my best today. There are things that got in my way and caused me to stumble. And I know that if I would have said this different or if I would have spent time with that person, it would have made an impact. I wish that I would have done that. And God, I'm asking you to help me to do better. These things aren't necessarily sins, but they weigh you down and hinder your progress with Christ. God's desire is for us to continue to grow in him. We don't complete our growth until he calls us home. So while we're here on earth, we've got to continually repent, continually ask God for help, continually be in the word, continually be in prayer, continually fast. We've got to continue doing these things so that we can continue to grow in him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Repentance. It's not dirty. It's a gift. And should be handled and treated as such. It prepares us for something greater. I want you to know that God has greater things for you. God has greater things for your family. Greater things for your spouse, for your children. God has greater things for this church. He has greater things for our city. God has greater things for our schools. God has something greater. I believe we can't even think or imagine of what it may be. But what would it be like for repentance to hit those that run our schools, that drove God out but allow confusion that would speak to the minds of our children at the very basic of their biology? What would it be like for a husband or a wife somewhere bound by addiction to allow the goodness of God to bring them to repentance? What would it be like in our homes if it was easier for us to say, I'm sorry, I've messed up, God. It ought not be weeks or months that go by between us coming short of the privileges God grants us before we make our way back to him to ask for forgiveness. We not should let the enemy convince us that we don't have to ask to begin with. Repentance. It's that place where we just surrender everything. Where we recognize that we can do nothing without him.
God, I want greater things in my marriage. I'm speaking for Juan Lopez. God, I want greater things in my home. I love my kids. I've been blessed with great kids, but I want to see greater things in their lives. I want to see greater things in our Sunday school classes. Reports of kids that have come in from homes that are broken where there's not a mother and a father there waiting to greet them when they come home, but they walk in and they feel the power and the love of God and it draws them to repentance and it changes their destiny. I want to see greater things at CCS. I'm thankful for the chapel services, Sister Collins, the breakout sessions in classrooms where God sweeps in and begins to minister. We've had kids get the Holy Ghost in a classroom because God was able to freely move at CCS. But why does it have to be every quarter or every semester? Why couldn't it be every week? God, help us to desire the greater things. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 7 and verse 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Repentance is not just the benefit of an individual, but corporate repentance from the body opens the door for God to bring forgiveness and healing to the land. I don't know if you've watched the news lately. We're climbing the numbers again, competing for our best year or worst year of homicides in our city. The amount of people that are homeless, the numbers are outstanding. We need God to heal our land. We need God to be able to do something greater in Indianapolis. We need him to go, Brother Barkus, beyond what we can think or imagine, beyond what we believe we need, beyond all of that. And the only one that knows what that is, is him. It's only him. If we're going to reach our city, it's going to be because of him. If people are going to be delivered, it's going to be because of him. If marriages are going to be restored, it's going to be because of him. If prodigals are going to come home, it's going to be because of him. 
If revival's gonna break out in Indianapolis, it's gonna be because of Him. That's the only way we get there. And so I'm wondering in this church, how many of us will make our way to this altar this morning and say, I wanna see greater things. I'll repent. Come on all over this place. This is that first step into God being able to do something greater. I want to open the door for God to move in this church like he has never moved before. I don't want to restrict God's supernatural power to the salvific experience alone. God desires in our church to do miracles, signs, and wonders. If there were miracles, signs, and wonders in the Old Testament, and there were miracles, signs, and wonders in the New Testament, then there will be miracles, signs, and wonders in the day in which we live. If we are willing to lay it all down. Jesus. Jesus. We need you, God. God, I don't want my pride to hinder what you can do in my life or in my family. I don't want to make something out of repentance that it's not supposed to be. God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for the invitation of conviction to return it to you and allow you to do what only you can do, God. Help us as a church, God. God, we repent as a whole. God, we're turning from anything that would hinder your movement in this place. We're surrendering ourselves to you, God. Everything is yours. I'm taking my hands off of it. I want no control. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. Come on, in your own words. In your own words, let's let God do that. 